Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Our daughter just had her 10th birthday and I decided a couple days before to let her open her presents when she woke up that morning. But David and I never had a discussion about it. So on the morning of her birthday, she asked if she could open her presents right away. David said she had to wait until that evening and instead of submitting to his authority, I told her to go ahead and just open half of them. This of course pleased her, but it undermined my relationship with David. It created a separation and unbalance in our roles for the day. It may seem like it was a really small thing, but lately God's been asking me to be faithful even in the small stuff. This was small, yet it was big because God's word asked me to submit to David out of reverence for Christ. I didn't. I wanted my own way. That sounds awfully familiar to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, thinking they knew best and wouldn't it actually benefit more people to create my own rules? How do you think the rest of the morning went for David and I after I did that? There was a feeling of tension and unease between us, and sometimes the easiest way to deal with that is to isolate. Have you ever wanted to be close to your spouse when you were angry with them? Probably not. Or when you've sinned against them? It's not likely. You might have a situation that pops into your mind between you and your spouse. A recent example of when something has come between the two of you, whether it was his sin or yours or both, where there was once unity, now there's division. Where there was connection, now there are two people walking on eggshells. Where there was once flirting and joy, now you've got I love you's that just don't come as easily. When there's sin between us, whether it's hers or mine, and forgiveness has not been sought, we tend to draw away from each other rather than draw towards each other. So we isolate. And the more we do, the more we convince ourselves that we're right and they are wrong. The more we withdraw from them, the less we pour into them. We get selfish really quickly and our pride, it takes over. The longer we isolate, the bigger the rift between the two of us gets. It can become a chasm of disunity that we don't even want to cross anymore. Does this sound familiar? It does in our house. Have you found yourself on one side of your rift and your husband on the other? There you stand untouchable because you've distanced yourself to a place that's far enough away in your heart that even if he tried to reach you, you would not let him. You've told yourself it would take too much humility to let him touch your heart. And after all, you're better off over here with him over there. As you stand your ground on one side of that chasm and him on the other, you've probably done one of two things. You've either surrounded yourself with those who will tell you things you want to hear, or you don't have anyone you're even hardly speaking to. You're either hanging out with those who don't tell you the truth from God's word or you're really not speaking to anyone at all, telling the cashier thank you at the grocery store is difficult. But in the back of your mind, you think it's all okay. It's okay to be in this place because you're protecting your heart, or you're more at peace here without all of his junk. Or you've got God, and shouldn't that be enough? Here's the thing, though. It is impossible to isolate ourselves from our spouse and remain in communion with God. We're going to explore this thought a little bit further in just a few minutes. The word isolate comes from the Latin word of insula, which is translated to island. 
Maybe this is resonating with you right now. You've become an island and you're realizing that's not what God has had in mind. That's not how he created things. From the beginning, before time, God had been three in one, a trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John 1 confirms this truth. Those three remain one and always will. Well, then God goes and creates man in his likeness to be in communion with him. We see this in the Garden of Eden. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden for just a moment. Back to the first man and woman, prior to the first sin. See, in the Garden, before sin, in order to be isolated, man and woman would have had to remove themselves from their home. They would have had to have stepped outside the boundaries of where they lived. And even then, God would have come to their side to be with them. But the thing is, they didn't want to leave. They had no reason to go. It never crossed their minds to try to gain something from being separated from God, to isolate, to be removed. Then sin entered. And what was one of the very first things they did? That's right. They isolated themselves. Adam and Eve became wandering sheep at that very moment. And all of their offspring, us included, have done the same thing since the day we were born. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. In Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned, they hid. They didn't want to be known or seen. Yet, despite what had just happened, still God pursued them. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read just two verses, but they show so clearly who we are and who our God is. Pick up with me in verse 12. This is Jesus talking, and he says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the other ninety-nine that didn't wander away. That's mind-blowing. There's more than one reason people end up isolated from those around them, but there is only one thing that isolates us from God. That is sin. No matter how you ended up on your emotional island, you probably didn't get there all at once. A listener of Vows to Keep has experienced the consequences of isolation firsthand in her life and in her marriage. She wanted to share with you her experience in her own words. So let me read this to you. She says, Isolation invades slowly and painlessly at first. By the time you become aware, it can be too late. Your marriage can die from neglect. She says, my isolation was a slow progression over several years. I had isolated myself in the past from my spouse and children with my job and how important I was at my job and the deceptive thoughts I allowed projected onto me by my coworkers. Deceptive thoughts that creep in and take root that can wreck marriage relationships. She says, isolation is where the enemy works his hardest and most pointed discouragement. Looking back, I had internalized and retracted away from all those who love me most, putting myself in the most selfish mode of operation. Ultimately, she says, leading my spouse to feel rejected, hurt, and not being able to hold up to my standards. Rightfully so, because I wasn't nurturing our relationship, but pushing it away from my own selfish wants. She says, I was deflecting all of our life's responsibilities onto my spouse Truly, this was the time I needed him the most, and he just didn't know it. The tug of war from my soul was on, and without realizing it, this is when I was at my weakest. She says, I thought I was strong, and it was a lie of the enemy. I thought I was untouchable, and again, another lie. 
I thought I didn't need anyone and that I could do it all by myself. Lie, lie, lie. Isolation excludes others and it makes the heart sick. She says when you can be reached deep within, the barriers and boundaries around your heart melt and the healing can begin. Keeping God present in times of isolation isn't easy. I didn't realize I had him as I was wrapped up in the world as isolation creates a foggy numbness. The Lord kept knocking and eventually melted my barriers. I just needed to open the door and the Lord turned on the lights to start the process of making things new. One of her favorite verses is the truth will set you free. The love, mercy, and grace, she says, that came in the time of redemption, not condemnation, were and continue to be so powerful. Praise God, she says, the fog has lifted and the numbness replaced with emotions that are a wellspring of life. When Adam and Eve were separated from God for the first time, they knew weakness for the first time. It was by listening to the devil's lies, his promises for a better life apart from God, they became in their own minds untouchable. Just like this listener Tracy quoted thought she was. They thought they were at their strongest, but it was then that they were actually the most vulnerable prey. As we listen to God's word, there are some who are hearing this today who realize they are the sheep that have wandered off by themselves. They're alone. They're relying on their own sense of direction. You've had it with doing what you know is right. You've moved on to embracing an isolation that you're alone and you're clear on why. You might even know that God's word actually calls you to take action. You're comfortable in avoiding that thought. You are the sheep with what you would deem as clear reasoning and intent to stray. You're isolated in every sense of the word. Remember that verse in Isaiah tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own ways. We've all strayed from our creator, our savior, but not all of us have separated ourselves from our spouse. Some do it purposefully, some unintentionally. As we talk, maybe some of you are having the light bulb turned on for the first time. You're thinking, maybe I am isolated and I just haven't recognized it for what it is. So how can you know? Here's one of the ways it can sneak up on you. We've got a lot of demands in life. Is that you? They've all amped up to such a level that you realize you're actually going through all these motions without real heart investment. It didn't necessarily start out that way, but if you're honest with yourself, you would acknowledge that you are now in a place of needing rescue. You're lost in the middle of a chaotic scene, like an extra in a movie where hundreds of people are all around you, but you feel like the camera is focused somewhere else. People are present in your life, but they don't know where your heart is. You've become unknown, and as you're thinking about it now, no one even seems to care. You're isolated, that one sheep going astray, but not because you have a specific destination in mind. No, you've instead lost the foundation of purpose. Others today are listening and you're realizing that someone in your life, maybe even your spouse, is isolated. They're the ones in need of pursuit. This might not be a new thought to you. You've observed that they've broken away maybe long ago. And maybe you've even convinced yourself that they can stay where they're at because you've tried to reach them and they're not reachable. And after all, you've got God and maybe that's all you need. Some watch a spouse that's gone astray and want to be the shepherd who actually is the rescuer. The confusion takes shape when we try to elevate ourselves to the position of the great shepherd, Jesus. We want to be the judge and jury to that isolated sheep. This is a way to inevitably set both me and my spouse up for failure because, of course, I'm not God. So what's the answer? 
When you see yourself as a tool in God's hands that he is in control of, then you're going to take on the right role. Most of the time, we're more like the shepherd's staff, not as someone who's trying to demand control over the other person's life, but rather a tool in God's hands, which can help get the sheep back into the fold. The distinction I want to make, however, is that many Christians who see an isolated spouse too often think too highly of themselves to be used, or they view themselves as ill-equipped to be used. You're listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep wants to help. If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vowstokeep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin David and Tracy Sellers with the remainder of today's broadcast. So you're isolated. You're an island. You and your spouse are in separate camps. My challenge to you is to honestly evaluate if your heart even wants the bridge. Seriously, have you grown so comfortable in isolation that being united within your marriage sounds worse, not better? Out in the wild of the world, people believe this lie all the time. TV shows paint marriage a misery defined only as successful by how well we endure. This lie is a trap. It's not how God designed marriage to be. And trust me, it's not sustainable. Great pain is coming the lie of isolation. And I want to compel you as a Christian that not getting a divorce but staying in isolation from your spouse is not a success measure. Few would argue that God is not a fan of divorce. But do you truly appreciate how the Bible leads us away from isolation and then how that protects your marriage? What's causing the gap between you and your spouse? What's your apple in the Garden of Eden, so to speak? It might be something really obvious to you, like a hidden sin such as pornography or an emotional affair, something we don't ever want our spouse to find out about so we don't let them get close anymore. Maybe the water around your isolated little island is more subtle to determine in its makeup. It's composed of a mix of unforgiveness for what they've done to you over the last X number of years. And in the mix is your lack of seeking their forgiveness. It's a lack of unity that gets muddier over time. This gap between us is water I'd rather not try to navigate, so I remain alone, untouched. When we plant our flag in the ground and claim this new territory of isolation, it feels good at first. We feel safe here, out of range of additional hurt from our spouse, out of earshot from their words, out of range from the consequences of our sin. We begin our new life in this little camp we've created, and it doesn't take long for the first few bricks on our wall of separation to be put into place. Subtle little building blocks of avoiding interaction with our spouse, only listening to those who tell us what we want to hear, not reaching out when I first start to feel vulnerable to Satan's temptations to get me isolated. Then we make the wall between us and our spouse higher by not reading God's word regularly, not being in a body of believers and being authentic when we're with others. And pretty soon that wall is so high, it seems immovable. There on your island, behind your wall, do you have peace? Is there any joy or fulfillment? Is there oneness with your spouse the way God created it to be? Do you have anything good as you cower behind the wall you've made? I've been there, and I'd have to answer no to all of the questions I just asked. I've cut myself off from everyone, and yes, that everyone includes Christ. As I said it earlier, and I'm going to say it again, it's impossible to isolate ourselves from our spouse and remain in communion with God. Walk through this with me for a moment. We have the Trinity. From the beginning, God created three in one, unity. He creates mankind for communion, fellowship with him, more unity. 
He meets Adam's needs and creates a perfect match for him in Eve. A beautiful relationship that reflects our triune God, unity. Mankind isolates from God through sin, division. Not God's plan, yet with unity still in mind, Jesus becomes the bridge between us and God. It's a complete gap filler, a forgiveness that gives us complete access to God. And with our hearts soft and accepting of that forgiveness, we give God access to our hearts. It's unity restored. And now as Christians, we live with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Guess what? Unity again. And one day we will dwell in our eternal home with our Heavenly Father, never again to separate. Unity. God's story from beginning to end. That's what it's all about. And it's His intent for you and His intent for your marriage. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're A-OK on your island because you've got God and that's all you need. Jesus says in the great commandment that we all know so well, in Matthew 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God is basically saying here, if you love me, you're going to also love your neighbor. Your closest neighbor might be your wife or your husband. Are you loving them in your isolation? Is hiding your heart from them love? Is wallowing in self-pity loving your spouse, reflecting the unity that God has modeled for you? First John 4.20 goes like this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people that we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Those are strong words from God to us today, but they're words that we might need to hear. God's truth can be a catalyst of change for you today. Are you ready to knock down the wall that you built? Are you ready for the isolation to end and for that bridge to be there? How do we build that bridge? How do we become one again? First of all, we don't do it. God does. But he does require our obedience to his word. That is the catalyst for him to begin the wall destruction and the bridge construction. Listen to this. Before Christ came, there were two groups, Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians chapter 2 says both groups were without God and without hope in the world. Let me read to you the rest of the passage starting in verse 14. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and its regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups, together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought his good news of peace to you, Gentiles, who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Do you hear the theme of unity in these verses? Jesus is that bridge. He closed that gap between us and God by his forgiveness of our sins. Has your spouse sinned against you? Are you holding that against them? Your forgiveness could be that bridge that you both need. Have you considered that your sin might be preventing anyone from reaching you? Change in the form of repentance comes with a biblical directive. Are you willing to do what God instructs? Past hurts are a wedge 
They propel us away from each other with jet-like power. Guilt makes us distant. On the flip side, unforgiveness towards our spouse is pushing them away. Two people cannot be islands in their own house if they share a foundation of Jesus Christ. Let me close by reading the last several verses in Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier built on the foundation of Christ himself. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In conclusion today, here's a question a Vows to Keep Radio listener asked us to answer on the air. David and Tracy, we have been married for a number of years, or to the point where we spend more time not talking than talking anymore. We fight less when we don't speak. We're in such a deep rut. I've tried everything I know to do, but now I'm just closing off. Please help. First of all, I want to thank you for reaching out to us. For most couples, that constant mode of tension is actually a result of a lot of built-up unforgiveness. So, are you forgiving your spouse? Maybe before your spouse has even asked. Are you making forgiveness easy for your spouse by admitting your mistakes and then specifically going and asking for forgiveness about that issue? Your spouse is present in your life to influence you toward godliness. Each marriage partner has got to see themselves as an agent of the Lord for the other person's growth. I've also seen that unity in marriage begins with making God's purposes my purposes. Peace in marriage begins when I allow God to rule my life, but I can't make peace my God. For a lot of men, they'll make peace an idol in their marriage, and in fact, so much so that they will build walls of complete isolation. You're not building unity when you're seeking peace above resolution. I have to make God my God and find his peace in that process. Ask yourself these questions, and I would in fact encourage you if one of them strikes you to write down your response. The first is, do you take your marriage relationship for granted? Are you doing things now that you wouldn't have done when you were dating? The second is, how can you extend grace and biblical love toward your spouse in their failures? I tell you, some of the most influential things that have ever happened in my own marriage was when I received grace and mercy when I was at my absolute worst. Taking a cue from Ephesians 5, are you wives willing to respect your husband regardless of whether your husband is reciprocating with love? And to a husband, I would say, are you willing to love your wife regardless of whether she reciprocates to you with respect? Loving others begins with understanding and accepting God's love. So my fourth question is, do you struggle with believing or accepting God's love? Ask your spouse to help you to answer that question and what they see would be helpful to you in changing your response. Next would be what untruths need to be changed or what sins do you need to ask God to forgive? For some, this is things that have become more important in our lives than they should be. I think we have to be ready to confess to our spouse and in fact go to them and say, I want you to forgive me for some of the things I've made so important that they have become in front of our marriage. Ask and even allow your spouse to hold you accountable for these changes. Finally, as a husband, I know that when my wife and I share with each other what we believe God is working on us individually, 
when we talk about what we believe God is working on as a couple, we see each other being used by God in our lives as an instrument in His hands. So ask your spouse, how can you be best used by God in their lives? Isolation is where the enemy gains his first foothold to permanent separation. Forgiveness leads to unity that builds a marriage foundation that is made to last. You've been listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep offers Christ-centered marriage resources for couples wishing to prepare, enrich, and renew their marriages. These resources include weekend retreats, conferences, date nights, and radio broadcasts across Ohio. Your financial gift will allow Vows to Keep to continue to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages. Please prayerfully consider making a donation to help serve future couples. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation or to find out more about Vows to Keep, visit our website at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.